my next guest on Tea Time with me, Annie Monjack, is Johannes von Stum, world-renowned sculptor. He is well known for his work of combining three different materials, iron, granite and glass, in perfect harmony. His sculptures are always a talking point, beautiful pieces of artwork that reflect his soul and have started much public contemplation. After cancelling several exhibitions this year due to the pandemic, last week he held a private gallery viewing in London called Immateriality. I went along and let's find out more. So here we are, Johannes, in um, the London Gallery tonight um, in Percy Street and you're having an exhibition, aren't you? I have a wonderful one-man show in London again. The last one was eight years ago or so. So a lot, very long time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's been a long time coming, and I'm really pleased that you are here because of you know this year's difficulties. Yeah. Difficulties. I had enormous. I had a couple of shows cancelled, and one was postponed, and that took place in Germany just before this one. So I was rushed off my feet, taking one down, putting another one up, and, and yeah, it made my life pretty difficult. I'm sorry to hear that. But talk about it. I mean, we've got a bit of a talking point here, haven't we? What, what, what is this, this sculpture in front of us? This sculpture is a relatively early piece uh, of my immaterial figures. It, um, I worked for a long time in glass and stone and steel, and the glass was limiting me because I can't blow bigger than this. So I realized that this limitation, I can never make a life-size glass figure in one piece. And I realized that in the year 2000, I had a big commission for a seated glass figure, and I had to do it in four parts. And the four parts, I loved the figure, but I would have really loved it to do it in one. And then my little brain started to work quite hard, and I thought, if I replace the glass with space, I have the same transparency in it, and I can have the same light in it. Mm. And from that moment on, I started to explore how to do it. And it was incredibly difficult, because how do you make a figure out of space? <laughs> it was very challenging. And it took me a couple of years to find solutions. And this one is called Contemplation. It's just a figure which sits like a Buddha, looking into the world. It has no judgment anymore. It's free of everything, and it's empty. You can fill it with everything. You can fill it with the moon behind it, with the sun, with the evening sun. You can fill it with fog. You can, it, it becomes just one with nature. And one wonderful thing happened. A Buddhist abbot saw this piece in a gallery. He was the abbot of the uh, monastery Amaravati in Hertfordshire. And he said, I must have this sculpture in my monastery because it talks about emptiness. And I try to teach my monks to let go of everything. And this is just clarifying, and this is the symbol for it. And I put it into his monastery, just bang right in the middle of it, between his hut and between the courtyard where the monks were walking around. And I should imagine it's a lot bigger than this. 
It is like the big one upstairs. I have a big version and I have a small version and I have a middle version. <laughs> <laughs> and it sells quite well, which is also nice. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, that, that goes to show how um, brilliant you are as a sculptor because, you know, to, to be able to, to have, you know, recommendation from a monk. Yes, is is quite something and that must be you know that was exhilarating because the spirituality in my pieces he recognized and i thought if no one ever recognizes it again i know it's in there it will be it will be read one day by by the people around me it might take longer than i live but it is in that he has recognized it uh, he was called he's called adrian sumedo and, and I knew that I'm on the right path. Brilliant. No, that, that, that is, that is a, a fantastic story and also, you know, very much part of you. I mean, tonight, what, what is the theme here tonight as far as your gallery showing is concerned? Well, the theme, I chose the theme immateriality, hinting at these immaterial figures. And also glass sometimes has in my work an almost immaterial feel it it almost makes stone float and fly and so i chose this title but what it is in the end is 35 years of hard work uh, all together here and this is what i have done in the last 35 years and this is all i can offer so you know it it's real blood sweat and toil and also very much a spiritual journey by the definitely things. yeah that's the beauty of it you have I say quite often that a piece of art has to have a spiritual meaning in it. If that's not in the piece, you don't make a... that's not a piece of art. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a, a very true thought, I think. You know, I well, think that's... Uh, and also at the moment, I think more than anything, you know, if we don't have pieces of art or sculptures, we really... You know what? What would we have? Because the world is quite bleak out there. Isn't I it? agree. I had a friend at the beginning of lockdown. She wrote to me, Jacqueline Cresswell. She wrote to me and said, "Johannes, put your work on Instagram and Facebook. We want to see something nice and not always get bad news." And I thought about it, and then I put forty of my pieces on on uh, social media, and I got three commissions to it. So it was wonderful. Brilliant. And I know that a lot of people follow me. I have no clue who is following me, but it's wonderful. <laughs> a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I see all your work on, <laughs> on social media. It's really nice. And that's very good for keeping the presence, the, 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 the presence um, keeping the, the connection alive. Keeping yeah. a presence, apart from that, you know, when you actually leave your artwork, your sculptures behind. Yes. I, I hope I will leave them behind. Maybe just with family and friends. Maybe one day in big museums. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who Definitely. Knows? So, I mean, you've really... Okay, let, let's go back to 35 years ago. How did it all begin? Oh, it began when I was 16. I started to become interested in art. And then I was sent by my parents to learn French in Paris. And I lived in a street where the Rodin Museum was. Auguste Rodin is a very famous French sculptor. Yeah. And you could see through the windows the piece, the sculptures of Rodin. And one day I was brave enough to, to go over the threshold and he touched my heart. 
because it wasn't generals on a plinth and, and vanity guys who, who tried to shine on, because they're famous or whatever. He showed me that art can have soul. And he moved me to tears with some of his sculptures. And that was, this, that was the moment where I started to, to draw these sculptures. And that was the moment where I thought that might be a way. And then I went back to Munich where I grew up um, and I learned how to draw in an in a, in a evening class. And first I had teachers who were terribly boring and then I heard by a model told me that there's one teacher who is really strict with his students and I went straight to him. And for one year he really, he was really Awfully Horrible. hard with me. Horrible. <laughs> and after one year, I took my heart into my hands and I said to him, I want to become a sculptor. And he took me aside and said, look at me. I'm 65. I have no family, no children. I have a rusty old car. I have a rented flat. I have 300 paintings in my flat I can't sell. I have no money. And if you want to be at the same place when you're 65, become an artist. And I was shocked because he was honest. And I was so frightened that I started to study law and politics. And in these three years, the wish to become a sculptor became so violent, so I could not not listen anymore. Mm. And I went back home to my parents and I said, I stop law. I look from now on after myself, uh, my own risk, and I will become a sculptor. And then I thought my father would give me the speech of his life, uh, how stupid that would be. And he leant back in his armchair and said, good, go for it. Brilliant. And from that on, I went. <laughs> and, and there you went. So you went out into the big wide world. And well, no, that's very funny that you say that. I didn't go into the big wide world. I, I had a flat with a loo in the corridor, no bath two rooms in that small kitchen and I had one room as my studio and one room as my bedroom. <laughs> and it was uh, not the big white world, it was a very small world. <laughs> it was a very small world. But I started to work and then after I was twice refused by the Munich Academy of Fine Arts, the third time I got lucky and I got in. And then I studied there for four years. First the two years as a classical sculptor with plaster and wax and, and learning all the trade. And then I went away for half a year to Italy um, and then I came back and I said to my professor, I want to work in glass, steel and stone. I want to combine these materials. I had done that already when I was 16. I threw broken glass and metal into my paintings. And my professor said, that is not possible. And then I went to the glass professor and said, I want to combine these materials. And he said, that is not possible. And then I thought, okay, I have to try it by myself. Well, I think you've proved it's possible. <laughs> yeah, after 35 years of slogging <laughs> on. But what was most important, which I didn't know at that time, I had to learn how to blow glass. Because every artist and I believe mm. firmly in it, has to know their materials to push them over the borderline of the, of the knowing world, of the, of the, of the, of the known world. Of and the now physics. all these, all these um, 
sculptors or painters, not sculptors and painters, there are a lot of conceptual artists who know nothing about the material anymore. And they go to a technician, and the technician says, this is possible and this is not impossible. But with that, they hand over their fantasy, their wishes to the technician and, and cannot discover it themselves. And I learned how to blow glass in the Bavarian forest in summer academies. And from that moment on, I could create my visions. And that was absolutely magic. But you ha I learned how to carve stone, how to blow glass, and how to treat metal. And these three talents then come together and, and do something which has not been done before. You make it sound absolutely idyllic. It is uh, not idyllic. <laughs> <laughs> it is extremely noisy in my workshop. It is dusty. I'm coming home with in covered in stone dust. Mm. Um, the welding fumes are seriously unhealthy. Um, it is very hard physical work. And if you're not careful carving a piece of granite and you chip a corner off, then you might have carved for three, four, five days and then you chuck it and start again. <laughs> so the material is also extremely a very strict master in glass and in metal and in stone. You have to concentrate, you have to, it has to work with you, you have to work with it. So what was the very first piece that you sold? Oh, good question. At the very beginning, in, I had a very, I moved my studio out of this little room of my, beside my bedroom and I had a cellar where I experimented and I, I didn't know how to treat glass so I got all the glass from the rubbish skips the window glass and whatever. And I, I started to learn how to cut it and how to drill holes into it. So it was a flat sheet of glass. And I made a little figure, an African woman. It had legs and the lap and then a glass sheet and a, a shoulders and a head in steel. And it was sitting in my little cellar studio. And a very wonderful, wealthy lady came to visit me to see what I'm doing. And we were sitting there and chatting, and, and she looked around, and she saw this little figure sitting there. And she said, oh, I like that. How much would you charge for that? And I think I said something like 300 D-mark or something at that time. And she said, I want to buy it. And that was the magic start of a long, long career, because... I thought, my God, maybe I have a chance to make it work. And Ursula, oh, you did? And I made it work, yeah. But I only made it work because I have so many friends who helped me. And my family, my large family, helped me so much on my way. And they're still helping. So it, you need patrons, you need people who love you and who give you a leg up when, you, when you're in the, in the ditch. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely, of course yeah. you do. So what, what was the, the first big piece? Because you've done some huge pieces, haven't yes. you? What was the first big piece that you were actually commissioned to do? That was probably an eight-foot-high abstract glass steel composition, which is not... On sh in the garden anymore where I planted it. It was one early piece, yeah. It was then, then replaced by a big version of this one. 
Right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and large pieces are very difficult to manufacture and, and also quite expensive. So I have to be very careful with large pieces. But for example, Newbury, the town of Newbury had asked me to make a five meter high sculpture on a roundabout. And Greenham Common asked me to make a sculpture which welcomes now everyone into the grounds of Greenham Common. And uh, in China, they put a five meter high uh, mother and um, daughter, no, mother and son and father and, and daughter sculpture up. And it's so big that the children can climb on it and they can use it as a slide, which is great fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it has a practical use as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, I mean, that, that is where we first met in Newbury. Yes, because exactly. obviously. You, um, I mean, are you still the president of the Open Studios? I have retired uh, just have a couple retired. of months ago uh, because my great fear is that I will be in, in serious trouble with new regulations at the border of Britain. So I, because I don't know if I will be able to bring my work to the continent anymore, so I fully have to concentrate to resolve these problems when they arise. Of course. I don't know if I will sit in a lorry traffic jam with 7,000 of my colleagues who want to bring some goods over the border. I don't know how I will bring the work back. I don't know if I have to pay tariffs. I, I really have to focus now on my survival because I sell a lot on the, in Belgium and in Germany and in Holland and, and I have to keep that alive and I want to reduce my public service because that will ask for a lot of my strength to resolve the issues. And I, you know, I mean, it, that's completely understandable and yeah. I, I mean, let's be clear here, you actually have given a lot. That's very kind. <laughs> um, to local artists within yeah. in West Berkshire and um, well, Berkshire and Hampshire and and Oxfordshire as well. Yes, true. You? The Oxford Art Society. I'm the president still, but it's wobbly. And I was president of the Royal Society of Sculptors for three years and the treasurer for five years. So I I I worked very hard. Yeah, besides no, you have. trying to do my own work. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it, it's always, isn't it, you know, at some point in your career about giving back and you've certainly oh, done that. Oh, absolutely. Yes. That is so important. A lot of artists have helped me and I try to help a lot of artists as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's wonderful communities I'm working with, so it's very joyful as well, most of the time. <laughs> Sometimes it gets political and then I live the political life as well and that can become quite dodgy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I, I just try and stay clear of politics really. <laughs> I mean, my good for line you, is, good for you. My line is that I'm still a journalist, so yes. yeah. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> yeah, but some journalists become politicians and I'm not quite sure if that's a good idea. No, I, I'm not sure it is. Um, <laughs> I don't want to mention any names. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then, you know, you start spinning yarns, basically. Correct. Shall we say? <laughs> Shall we say? Yeah, a lot. Oh, yeah. Yes. No, yeah, no, yeah. That, that is true. But, you know, it, it's quite right that you look after yourself at the moment in, yeah. in these times because, actually, the arts business has been hit. Hugely. Hugely. I mean, I was lucky because during lockdown I still could work in a studio because I'm on my own there. But a musician who depends on public performances is, is up the spout. There's nothing which helps him. 
the government helped a little bit actually, that was quite good. Rishi Sunak gave me a small grant for, which carried me over the first three months. And then sort of sales kicked in again, so, but that was extremely helpful, yeah. And has lockdown inspired you to, to make a particular sculpture? No. No. No, my, my, my work aims to reach further than um, short-term developments in society. And it, it doesn't want to make comments on, on little bits here and there or something like that. I think that's a very dangerous part. <clears throat> a lot of artists go now down the political route and that might be valuable or not. I think what I try is to discover truths, eternal truths, if possible, and find a new way of expressing them. That's beautiful, Johannes. They're almost as beautiful as your work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, it is. So, so one quick question. When was the first sculpture made that you made using the metal, the glass and the stone together? Which was well, the that was one? actually probably when I was 16 years old. It wasn't a sculpture, but it was a relief painting. I smashed bottles and put the broken bits into the paintings and, and all the metal I could find and lead I dribbled over the paintings and did all crazy things. And and that was probably, well, so since 16 I, I always do the same thing, very, very boring. <laughs> Does it still exist? <laughs> yes, I think in my attic I have one thing which is wrapped in plastic and I haven't looked for 30 years at it but I think it still exists if the mice haven't eaten it <laughs> I have to have a look yeah no brilliant yeah. that 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 sounds really good to me definitely so um I mean any other pieces that stick out to mind before we wrap that you were just blown away when someone said could I commission to you could commission? Oh, to do I it? was very lucky with a few commissions. There was a couple in West Berkshire who came when I was I moved to England in ninety five, nineteen ninety-five, and two years later this couple came and gave me my first big commission, a life size um, sculpture of they called it fairies. And when they said fairies, I almost fell backwards because fairies in glass, steel and stone are very difficult to make. But when they gave me the amount they want to spend on it, I thought I'd better think of fairies. <laughs> <laughs> and I made a, a beautiful dancing couple with glass wings, which dances now in their garden and uh, as a small version in many other houses, yes. Oh, yeah. how beautiful. That yes. was probably one of the, my first English uh, glass stone steel pieces. Yeah. So obviously you've got a photograph of that somewhere. I definitely you? have. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I would I hope can so. Send it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I would love to see that. Yeah. that. That's really special. So, any other pieces that really stick out to mind that perhaps you? Well, we're sitting in front of one here. Yes, we've said about the monastery, and then haven't we? Well, there, it's, this question is a bit difficult because which one of your children do you like best? There's no answer to it. Yeah. Um, one of it is just behind you. It's called floating stone. It's very simple. 
the stone rests on the glass and everyone always says, oh, it should be the other way around. It has to be this way around. Because it's the, it's like waves, it's floating, and there's also this fragility in it, this hidden fragility, and everyone senses it, everyone who, who has this, who, who is open for, for art. There's a certain danger. It's great, it's peaceful, it's quiet, but there is this danger of breaking in it, and that's what we all have to face one day. And so we don't know when it will break, but one day it will. That's very true. It's like mm. the story of life, isn't it? Correct. It has yes. to come to an end exactly. at some point. Exactly. Yeah. Well, without further ado, I won't keep you anymore because I know you've got a gallery full of people upstairs. <laughs> I wish. I can hear some noise, definitely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, as always, it, it's lovely to see you. Yeah, and Ali, see, thank you so much. No problem at all. What a and, joy. And also to see, you know, that you're actually having an exhibition. Yes. And we're still going through a global pandemic. Which Absolutely, is, yeah. You know. That's a miracle. And I set it up not knowing if we can open or not. But you have to just go and work and go forward. And don't be defeated by obstacles. Just jump over them or go around them. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, Johannes. <laughs>